What's up everyone? This is Mayowa, your host, and you are listening to the Six Figure Entrepreneur Podcast. More people than ever are building cool stuffs online from the scratch, solving problems and making a lot of money in the process. And on this show, I sit down with these amazing six-figure entrepreneurs to share their entrepreneurial journeys, the ideas, the opportunities, the strategy they are taking advantage of so the rest of us can do the same. And now, let's get the show started. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Maya once again, and I'm your host on the Six Figure Entrepreneur Podcast, that podcast where I always like to see them virtually in my own corner of the world to have these amazing conversations with top six, seven, and eight figures entrepreneurs who have built a business from the scratch to a very good success level uh, to share their story. So in this episode of this uh, podcast, I've got another awesome guest. And just like I like to do uh, on every episode of this show, I will pass the mic to my guest and uh, he will tell us a bit about himself and a little bit about what he does. And then we get the show started. But before that, uh, don't mind, um, pardon my manners. My name is Mayowa and I'm the founder of the Book Court, a book publishing agency that helps busy entrepreneurs to write, publish and launch a book in less than three months without writing a word of it. And if that seems like something you are interested in, you are a busy entrepreneur and you have that idea of a book, that you have been uh, you wanted to write for a long while and you don't have the time to do it, just uh, check on me uh, at thebookcourt.com forward slash consult. That is T H E B O O K dot com forward slash C O N S U L T. So, uh, my guest today is Mike, and uh, to get the show started, I will pass the mic to Mike. <laughs> That's so funny. Pass the mic to Mike and I will tell us a bit about himself. Then uh, we get the show started. Hi, Mike. Hi, it's so nice to be here with you, Mayo. Thank you so much. My name is Mike Wittenstein. I'm based in the Atlanta, Georgia area. That's the Southeast United States on the Eastern seaboard. I've run a company called Story Miners for almost 21 years now. Story Miners helps leaders fine-tune their strategies. What we do is we listen very carefully to a leader's plans for the future and serve as a sounding board so that they can get extremely clear about what they're doing and make it easier to share with their people and their partners and their clients and on and on. It's so important to know who you are, how you are, what you're doing, and to be able to share that in language that makes sense to everybody around you. What's unique about story miners is that once we understand and have clarity with a, a company, a leadership team on how they are and who they are, their strategy, we express that. We present that as customer and employee experiences. We also use stories. It's so interesting to me, and I've learned this over and over in my life, that if you start by just telling people things, they kind of get tired of listening to you so quickly. Oh my gosh. It's like having a teacher talk to you in class. It's no fun just to listen to a lecture. But if you tell them a story, they'll get very interested. They'll bring their creativity, their imagination. They will listen in because they're curious, just like all of you are, about how to live better, how to work better, how to be better. So I really love what we do at Story Miners. It's a blast, and it has been for 20 years, and I hope I'm not done anytime soon. 
Mayor yeah. Matthew. <laughs> All right. I am super excited to have this conversation with you. And uh, I think we have something in common, uh, even though in different ways uh, you talk about stories and we surely we get to that uh, during the course of this interview. And uh, just like I always like to say on this uh, show, we love stories a lot because Everybody has a unique story, no matter how common it is. There is always a unique angle to every story. So take it away from me. Give us a background story into how you became an entrepreneur to where you are today. Sure. Well, my, um, my parents were second generation in this country, the United States. Their parents both came from Eastern Europe. So I have a little bit of what is now Poland. Russian, Lithuanian, a little German. So all these people meet as they're moving and migrating to this country, the United States. They decide they like each other. They get married. They have children. Their children have children. And voila. And, and I've done my children as well. Um, I forgot your question. I got all excited about the background. Oh, how I got here. All right. Well, yes, how do yes. I do this? Yeah. So um, it, it's important to know that when people move to another country, when they migrate or they emigrate, they usually end up doing the basic necessities of that area. So when my great-grandparents moved to Orlando, Florida, that's where Disney World is, but they moved way before Disney World, they were shopkeeps. They ran a grocery store. They started a dairy. They had a specialty farm. They grew oranges and uh, I think onions and a couple of things that would grow in the tropical temperature of that area. And then as the family got a little bit older and more mature, they started an insurance agency. There's a big difference between, you know, farming the land and then doing, you know, office and clerical work. And then the next generation went on to become professionals. So I have a godfather who was an accountant and someone else who ran property management company and those kinds of things. So no matter where you are on the spectrum of, you know, being able to make a living in the kind of business that you do, you learn over time to become a little bit more competitive and to start to create advantage for yourself. So each of the generations of my family ended up making more money and having a little bit more, I guess I would say power. And I don't mean power in a political sense, but the options to get things done in different ways. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. And I know that not everybody is like that. Everybody can be very different. You can even be in an entrepreneurial family, but not have the conditions or the, the, you know, the atmosphere is not right for you to be able to explore and try new things. One of the things that's important about growing up the way I did is that you're encouraged to discover what it is that people around you need. One of the lessons I learned from one of my elders was that you can't really make money. You can make other people money and you get to keep a little bit of it. So whether you're a broker or an insurance agent or any other kind of professional service person, your job is to take care of your client's needs and make sure that they come out better. If you stay focused on that, you'll do okay. If you can stay focused on that and take care of your own operation, you know, make sure that you're operating profitably, that you're working smart, that you're making good relationships and good decisions, then you can do extremely well. So the answer to your question, Mayo, is a lot of who I am kind of happened because of what family I was born into and the decisions they had made a long time ago. Can I keep going a little bit? Yeah, sure. 
Uh, you have okay. the floor. All right. So the, the first entrepreneurial decision I made was as a little kid, I was about uh, 12 years old and um, I had uh, a rite of passage ceremony called a bar mitzvah. Uh, bar mitzvah is when a kid turns 13 and they have full religious responsibility in a synagogue. You have to study hard, learn Hebrew, all that stuff. And usually you have a little party and people give you some gifts. So I took my gifts and I bought a table saw. That's a piece of woodworking machinery that lets you cut wood. And I started making things to sell to people in the neighborhood. And the first thing I made didn't sell anything except to my grandmother. She bought two. Uh, and I made something else and that didn't work. And I made something else and that didn't work. Well, by then people knew that I wasn't a very good salesperson. <laughs> Actually, what they knew is that that kid has a woodworking shop and his dad was nice enough to let him put it in the garage. Um, a friend of the family found out about that and they had a need for a very special product. They grew orchids and other kinds of flowering plants and they needed a wooden basket to put them in. It turns out that in the Florida climate, which is very, very humid and very hot, that you need a special kind of wood so that the plants don't grow, you know, bacteria and get sick and things like that. So he shared with me what all the specifications were, and I made him one, and he paid me for it. And I thought that was pretty cool. And then he asked if I could do 10, and I did that. And eventually, as a kid, I sold thousands of them. And I even hired some of the other kids in the neighborhood to help me put them together and stuff like that. So that was my first entrepreneurial experience. And what it taught me is something that I teach my clients today as the consultant. The lesson is, if you listen to your customers, that's really good. But what you need to listen for are the things they don't tell you. The thing that they don't tell you that matters the most to you as an entrepreneur is what are their unmet needs. There are a billion products and services on the market right now. You can buy shoes and computers and all kinds of business services and things like that. But it's the things that people can't buy yet that provide high utility and high value for them that are their unmet needs. And most new opportunities, especially for people who are first-generation entrepreneurs or those who are learning in an entrepreneurial family, is to focus on the unmet needs because that's where there's new business to have. So, that takes us up to when I was like a, a teenager and I could tell you more, but that was a, that was a very formative lesson for me. May all, all right. Uh, thanks so much. I was listening attentively so that I can get uh, that picture. And what I got was that, uh, you know, coming from a background of uh, a family of entrepreneurs, unlike someone like me, I'm the first entrepreneur in my family. And that is that I opened the gate for a lot of other people to uh, chase that dream. And that's something I'm super uh, happy with today. You know, uh, you started uh, your life, uh, or let's say you have that background of entrepreneurship uh, from the get go. And for someone like you, uh, one thing I'm wondering now is uh, you have been running a company or on a business for like 20 years, just like you said before. And mm -hmm. I'm just wondering and I'm curious to know what uh, got that idea started from the scratch? How did it happen? And at what point do you realize that I think I am up to something good here? Oh, that was an, that's an easy question when we're talking about story miners. So I was sitting with a friend of mine named Tom. Tom had just uh, decided that he wanted to leave 
his own agency and go to work for a large company. We were sitting in a Starbucks and I had seen a newspaper when I walked in the door. So I went back to the front door, picked up a copy of the newspaper, and I dropped it on the table for Tom to read. And it said that two of the largest companies in, in my city of Atlanta were laying off 6,000 marketing people. And I let that sink in for a minute. And I told Tom that if you go into the market right now as you're you know, trying to look for work, you're going to be competing with people who have 10, 20, 30 years more experience than you do. Better if you kind of stick where you are. And then he said, yeah, Mike, but I, I don't really know what I'm good at. And, and we talked back and forth for a while. We had, I think we had more than one coffee at Starbucks. And um, we realized that we were both very good at figuring out what it is that makes a company tick. Because inside every company and inside every entrepreneur, there's a story that's kind of waiting to get out. And when you share that story, again, it creates that, it, it introduces that creativity, that imagination, it draws people to you. If you share the wrong story, or if you share the right story the wrong way, you can have pretty poor to terrible results. But if you can find out what it is that your customers' unmet needs are, and you can tell a story that really engages them, you're in good shape. So Tom and I figured out that story, what I just told you now twice, we figured out that that could be the basis for a company. So we called it story miners, like, you know, digging for your story, finding the core, the essence of a brand. So we put together a little pitch deck. I think it had 10 slides. It was done, you know, pre-PowerPoint. It was, it was that early in the 1990s, I think. And um, we, uh, we took it to six different businesses and we got a project from each of the six businesses. So that was our validation. That was our, our early trial. That, that idea had some legs and that people were buying into it. So that's how we kind of figured it out. We came up with an idea based on what was important to us and based on what we knew about the world, the importance of unmet needs. And then we tested it, you know, with, you know, we just talked to anybody. And the first six people we talked to said, yes. Yeah. So that was a pretty strong validation for us. Okay. Uh, you mentioned something about validation, and that is one thing most entrepreneurs starting a business struggle with. Uh, for me, let me give you an example of uh, from my own personal story archive. I started uh, writing books, write, uh, publishing books uh, as far back as 2012, and then it was just a, uh, something I have to do because I don't have a job, and I have to occupy my time. I have to just do something. And I was learning this uh, I was learning this at uh, the rope of book publishing, how to write a book, how to market it. And out of curiosity, I was just blogging about it with a very simple blog that I even hosted with a, on a free web host back then. And I was blogging about my experience. This is what I'm doing. This is, uh, I've just published a book. This is what I'm trying to do now to get it to sell. And I was just on LinkedIn. I don't even know what I was doing. I never knew that I was validating an idea that people are in that shoe with me and with the little I know I knew much better than many people who are just starting out to write their books and I started making posts on LinkedIn people started asking me questions out of the blue moon people would just ask me okay can you do this for me can you help me with my so my own validation system was not really something I sat down to think about and that is how uh, this whole book publishing course started for me but for listeners out there maybe they have that idea in their head uh, for you, if you are starting the story miner today from the scratch, 
how would that idea because the reality when you got started is so different from now there's a lot of tool that is social media there's a lot of uh channels that you can use to buy data so if you're starting your business and your company again today what will you have done to validate that idea and what advice will you like to give to someone who has that idea who has that uh oh you know what uh this is awesome and i want to push it out what advice would you like to give to them you know if i could say two things one would be to ask more questions than you think you should validating an idea is a great idea but to to just grab an idea out of nowhere and start to push and make it happen may or may not work the sooner you can ask other people about their needs their core essential needs not just their ideas about your product or service the more you can start to shift your own thinking to rapidly envision and create services for them does that make sense yeah sure yeah okay so the the getting the ego out of um creating things is so important when you're young and it's one of the hardest things to do because you're used to thinking about yourself and what do i want and what do i want to do and what do i bring about and how much money do i want to make but you really don't make any money unless you're making money for somebody else so you have to find out what is it that they need so you can ask questions so a lot of people will ask um I think some very simple questions, which is not a bad place to start. Like, what do you need? Well, that's a hard question to answer. Now, Maya, let me, let me play. Can we role play for just a minute? Yeah, sure. I would love okay. that. So I'm going to, um, I've just met you. We have a, a friend in common, let's imagine. And I know that you're in your thirties. You've got a book publishing business and uh, lots of people are trying to figure out where to go. And you're trying to help them get there a little bit faster and, and safe and more safely. So Mayo, um, and give me short answers, please. Mayo, what do you need? Like in my own business right now. See, it's a question that kind of goes nowhere because <laughs> people don't know how to answer it. All right. Let me ask you another question. Okay. Mayo, when it comes to finding new customers, what do you find is the most interesting and the most difficult? Yeah, the most interesting part for me are to getting customized, having a conversation like this, like uh, meeting people who fit into an idea, uh, picture of who I want to work with and having a conversation with them. And along the line, like if we are a good fit to work together, we surely uh, have a conversation that flows naturally because I hate this salesman-like uh, style where people just bombard people with a lot of things. For example, if you are looking for, uh, if you have been having that dream of wanting to write a book, you know, after this, uh, this conversation, like we can just have, something can just come up and just, ah, you know what, I've been, uh, this is what you do. I've been trying to write this book. Uh, what idea can you give me? And then we can, okay, fine. This is how you can do it. We can do it this way. And uh, this is how I can help you. And we can do business if it's a good fit for us. But uh, that comes to me naturally because I'm a very good listener. And when you talk about something that doesn't come to me naturally, like I'm not the normal salesperson who will just go out there to just bombard people, uh, sending emails or DMs or whatever. Like, you know what? This is what I do. Uh, are you interested? I don't. It's <laughs> not. It's not so natural to me because I believe I'm yeah. not treating people like human. 
because we mm-hmm. like to have conversations. We like to be a friend first before we can even be a client or business partner or whatever uh, you can call it. So having conversations okay. like this is, uh, comes to me easily, but just bombarding people with uh, emails or cold calls or whatever and just gotcha. forcing myself on them, it's very super difficult for me. So let me point something out. We're going to, we're having a conversation about the conversation we're having. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) The first question I asked you is what do you need? And you, you had to ask me another question because there was not enough direction in it. You were speaking just now for a full two minutes based on the question of what's most interesting and what's most difficult. You never even answered the second question, but I got two minutes of information out of you. See the difference in the quality of a question? Yeah. One, one, one okay. got to no end. The other one uh, gave you an insight into who I am and what I properly might have need. Yeah. So right now I'm starting to think about what can I do for you? So everybody that's listening, I'm going to ask Mayo another question or two, and I want you all to think in your heads, do a thought experiment. What might Mayo need? What might I do for him? Okay. So everybody ready? Yeah, sure. Mayo, here, here's your next question. What is the most difficult part of finding the folks who need to write books? Yeah, uh, the most sincere answer to that is uh, if book writing or book publishing is not something that I can really say, you know what, that Mike, I, I see Mike on LinkedIn or I see him on, uh, I see his website, he definitely I've been thinking of writing a book. It's not something, uh, for, for example, if I'm sending a, a marketing service, it's very easy to locate uh, your ID client. Like, you know what, anybody, maybe someone, I, I will surely approach someone who's running Facebook ad or Google ad or LinkedIn ad if I'm mm-hmm. selling a marketing service. But, you know, for something like a book writing is more of a passion project or maybe a dream project than maybe make money or feel good or uh, have a good relationship or make more money. So it's, uh, it's very difficult to know the exact people that are, have been having that sort of writing a book. It's a very it's difficult also, process. Yeah, it's also very hard to find people who are about to have a toothache or who need, to have, who need a new cat or need to have their tires repaired. Yes. <laughs> how do you know these things? All right. So tell me what's worked for you so far and what's been the worst experiment that you've done? Short answer. What's what, worked? What works what for it? me? Well, relationship, like having been becoming a friend with uh, my ID client or my uh, dream client. And what has never worked, I've, uh, I've tried Google Ads. It works a bit. My account got banned and I figured out it's not a sustainable way to build a business because I don't mm-hmm. control the process. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, what's been the worst experiment? Yeah, the worst experiment. I tried LinkedIn ads. It never mm-hmm. worked. I just wasted money and it was an experiment, but it bumped. And I learned a lot from me that you can't just force things to people. You have to get to know them and uh, ask questions, just like you said, know where they are at their journey, if they are even a good fit for what I need to offer or not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Before having okay. that, uh, say a conversation about what I, this is what I do and will you need it? Okay. All right. So I, I wish I could hear the questions that are going on in all the other listeners' minds right now, because I bet there's some amazing ones out there. 
Lilith, let me just ask you one more question. Um, if you could be known for one specific outcome that you delivered better than anybody else, what would it be? People would know you, Mayo, because you did this for so many other people. Helping busy people or busy business executives or entrepreneurs to get their story out into the world through the form of a book. Okay. Why in the form of a book instead of just get their story out? Yeah, I, I have a podcast that you are even a guest on right now, but one way or the other, there's a limitation to what, uh, how, where the story can get to in form of a podcast. But with a book, there's a lot of possibilities. And over the years, I've had that experience, uh, more than 10 years experience of being in that book publishing environment. And I've got to understand the nitty-gritty of the process. And uh, I know the advantage and how to... Uh, raise that tentacle to a lot of places that a podcast like this might not be able to reach. Okay. All right. So let's, let's do a recap. Um, I was asking you some questions because I wanted to make a point to the audience that it's so important to listen to other people's needs. They're not going to say what they are exactly. You have to listen beyond what they're saying to kind of come up with those unmet needs. Right. So I think I have an idea for you. Is it okay to share it? Yeah, sure. I'm free. I'm okay. free to listen. Okay. <laughs> and I'm giving it to you freely. Okay. Yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> what you told what I picked up from what you said is that a lot of business leaders have like a passion project. A lot of business leaders also don't have a lot of time. So it's very cool that you're offering this without them having to write a word, which is what you said at the very beginning during your own introduction. What if we gave these business leaders, a different reason for wanting to write the book that they already want to write. Because when people write a book, they're very interested in getting a story out of themselves. They're very interested in sharing it. And of course, everyone's interested in all the praise and accolades and the, the applause, you know, that comes from your friends, your family, your coworkers. And if you're lucky enough to sell some copies, that makes you feel really good too. So it's a way of sharing yourself with the world and creating a legacy, much like an architect would do by creating a great building that would last well beyond her or his life. So the idea I have for you, and I'm not telling you what to do. This is just an idea. Okay? Yeah, I understand. And I'm open to uh, ideas. I'm open to, you know, that's one of the advantage of having a podcast where you can uh, talk to people. And so far, so good. I've been able to learn a lot from a lot of my guests. Uh, so it's a win-win for the two of us. They get a platform to talk about themselves. And I get something for myself also. And even for the audience, they get to get tons of value out there. Mm -hmm. Cool. All right. So here, here's the idea for you. Um, if you approach one of your one of your prospects and you say, "Hey, I would like you, you you build a relationship, you get an introduction. Let's go past that point." So they're talking to you and they're asking, "What what do you do?" And you say, "Well, I help executives write books, even passion project books." Okay, they're probably thinking, "You know, I probably get ten of those offers on LinkedIn every single week, and I'm really not a book writer. I don't think I have a book in me. I don't have enough time." You've probably heard all those excuses before. What if you told them that you have something very unique, that you will help them write their company's book? It's part story of the company, and it includes interviews with key people that will tell the stories of the business. 
And much like you had um, a story arc for me, you know, how did you get into the business? What was your family like? What was your first experience? What was story miners like? You can do the same thing and do kind of a memorial, not a memorial, a, um, a memoir on the business. But at the very end, it would have the founders look forward statement. So you do a little bit of the history of the company. You'd take pieces of interviews that you would do with five or 10 or 20 people. They can be individuals. They can be groups. It can become a whole company project. They can contribute graphics and research and all those things. And um, at the very end, the founder or the, the leader talks about what's going to be next for the company. And that's the book. How does that grab you? Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. That's, that's cool. That's cool. Okay. And what, you know, what, okay. Ah, <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, what don't you like? I, I was gonna, I'm talking to the audience about how do you listen? Okay. So what I'm doing is I'm coming up with an idea, but I don't think that's the idea for you yet. Okay. I don't, I, I, I'm just yeah, I, throwing I it con- out there. I connected but, with your, the, the idea because uh, one, one thing I've seen, uh, I work with one client like, uh, like a month or two months ago, and uh, he was a, a CEO of five companies. And uh, the book is not really to make money, like he already has the money, but it, uh, it just needed something to share for his future generation, for his kid to be able to tell yeah, them yeah, this is how yeah. I lived and this is what I learned. Okay, can you learn this? And even for other people as well. And uh, you know, the excitement was so much after the book was published and I got to understand that it's not really about the book. It's about the story and the joy that I have a story to tell. And f- what mm-hmm. you just said, I can see it from because I've had conversations with tons of top CEOs and uh, trust me, I've had that excuse many times. I'm not, it's not really my priority. I'm not, I don't really have that time and you know, a lot of other things. I, it's, I'm so used to it and it's very normal. But you know, when it comes to company, everybody, you care so much about Story Miner and I care so much about my own company. And if you come to me and you say, you know what, uh, this is an idea that I believe can change the story uh, projection of your company, it's surely something I would listen to more than you know what, I have a passion project and I wanted to write my own personal story because people are more, entrepreneurs like us are more invested in our business. I can say more than we are interested in personal gains because uh, the personal gains we even get is comes majorly from the success of our business and our company. So uh, I relate mm-hmm. with, I connected so much with uh, what to say. And one thing I wanted to say before I jumped on you the other time was, I had a guest, uh, the last episode before yours, I had a guest, Phil, and, uh, you know, it was just a conversation like this, and uh, he asked mm-hmm. me the same question that you asked, but in different way, and it led to him giving me an idea that uh, my team and I are working on right now, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an explorer, I explore things a lot, I ask questions, why not, what if we do this, what can mm-hmm. we get out of it, you know, experiments and a lot of things, and I, I, yeah, yeah. With, without those experiments, I would never have been to where I am today. And I don't mind putting, putting that idea on the spot and discussing with, with my team and uh, doing something on it. Everybody wants to get ahead. Everybody wants to. And this is coming from, uh, to you, uh, from you to me for free. And it's so valuable. And I can really connect with it. Well, maybe or maybe not. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, sure. I'd like to... I, 
I'd like to go back to the the needs of your audience for a minute because I'm very okay. focused on the people that are listening right now. All right. So I came up with this idea for you, and I want to I want to have two conversations with you in addition to the one we're having right now. Okay. The first conversation, I'm going to ask you a question, and in the second conversation, I want to give you a test. Okay. Okay. So the first conversation is when I gave you the idea about a company book versus an individual book. What did you like least about that idea? What rubbed you the wrong way? What didn't you like? And audience, that's a really important question to ask because it gives people permission to share their um, negative feelings and the things that they don't want. And knowing those boundaries is really important. So watch what happens after Mayo answers this question. So Mayo, what did you like least about that idea? Like the idea you just uh, talked about. Yeah, the one about a company book where a whole company could participate in making it and lots of people would, you know, help co-write it and the owner would, you know, end with the forward-looking statement. Okay, the only thing I can see, at least I've had the experience of working with this uh, set of people and uh, I, with a personal book, is a personal project. They don't need anybody's permission. It's just something they can decide on from there, maybe after consulting their wife or their husband. But, you know, for a company book, uh, there will be a lot of decision makers. Maybe I need to talk to my co-founder. I need to talk to, I need to have a board meeting and we need to decide on it. I think apart from that is a very great uh, idea. And if you are, the answer to your question is that bureaucracy of, you know, is a business setting compared to a personal setting. Like there will be some bottlenecks and some uh, bureaucracy uh, behind the scene uh, compared to when it's a personal book. Okay, so here's the twist question, okay? What would you do to make that idea work? Yeah. Right now, okay. right now your, your business is like mostly taking a story out of one person. When you do it for a company, you have to like re-engineer the way your business works. So what would you do to make that idea work? Yeah, uh, if I am to do that now, and what comes to my mind now is uh, there is a decision maker, maybe the founder or the CEO, or maybe uh, someone who is in charge of marketing or whatever. Number one is reaching, knowing who the decision maker is like, who makes, at the end of the day, even if they have to pass it through some people, who is making that final decision like. And also, uh, I think if someone in that team, or maybe if there is a team, if someone is really buying the idea and very interested in that idea, it will be very easy to, uh, for the person to sell the idea uh, to the company. And also, uh, I think the third one and the last one I can think of right now uh, without thinking is if, you know, people, people buy uh, benefits, people buy transformation, like how can that project benefit the company or maybe make them more money or even get them more customer or tell their story in a better way than what they have been doing right now? Absolutely. Good, good. All right. Excellent. Well, I learned so much about you by just asking a few questions, and now I have a better sense of what some of your unmet needs are. So audience, those are some of the techniques that you can use to uncover what people truly need so that you can focus your time and effort and your energy and your money on creating something that people will actually buy. And when people buy things from you, they tell their friends. So getting to those purchases that people want rather than the purchases that you make happen um, is it makes all the difference in the world. It's a very authentic way to grow. 
And um, can I ask you one more question, maybe? Yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. So it's it's a two part question. First one is, um, well, I just one question. Which question do you like better? Would you like a book? That's the question. The second question is, what can a book do for you? Okay. Imagine you're talking to a prospect. Would you like a book? What could a book do for you? What's the difference? Uh, are you talking for my own personal, like if I am the, uh, if I am my client or if you are. As if you were a client. Yes. As if you were a client. Okay. Uh, and I think I need to say this. My, my answer might be screwed towards the fact that I've been in that industry and I have what a book can do. I understand it. And uh, okay. getting a book also from a, from a personal, uh, from, for a personal game, what it can do. So I think. Okay. The best question I would like to hear if I am approaching someone is what can a book do for me? Because uh, that, that is a reason. It shows me that there will be a reason behind the book. And it's that reason I can easily capitalize on that reason to make, to get the sales. That's it. Yeah. We're, we're on the same page. There you go. There you go. Love that. So, uh, okay, now I think this is a very cool practical session. Instead of just uh, talking about theories, you know, you have to put me on the spot to ask me this question, to get something out of me that you never might even uh, get by just having a conversation and just living. And, uh, okay, now you've talked about, you've given us a very good technique of how to get people, how to open people up. Because you really open it up in a way that I never even thought I would have to do on ear like this. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you did it in a very friendly way. And you did it with this uh, tone of, you know what, uh, I just want to know about you. I'm not, uh, it's not an arterial motive. I just, I'm just interested in you because the way you're asking those questions, they are very uh, friendly, not like coming from, ah, I want to say you, that's why I'm asking you this question. And for the purpose mm-hmm. of listeners out there, okay, you've, you've given us a very practical technique of how to get people to open up and to know what they really care about so that you can know what exactly to give to them. So after that is done, and still using this idea that you talk about with my business, the, uh, there is some, okay, I've got the idea, okay, this is what I have to offer, this is what a better way to sell it, at least give them a way where uh, how the book can be beneficial for their company or how it can help their company. Because one mm-hmm. thing that people like to know is what is in for me. And in this uh, process or in this uh, particular idea is what is in it for their business or for their company. So uh, I've got the idea, I've got what they know and everything or that. And so the validation process, uh, how do you go from that okay, I've got what they need and offering it for them, like bringing that sales conversation up, like after getting to know what the dream okay. clients are needing. All right. Well, Mayo, realizing that everybody listening is probably in a slightly different business, I'd like to switch from practical to theoretical. Okay. Cool. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. All right. So I think what is really helpful when you're doing a validation is to not just put forth an idea for a product, but put forth an idea for an entire experience. So if you imagine that you're the customer, if you, we have a, an expression here, we call it walking in someone else's shoes. Is that something that's familiar to you? Yeah, sure. Yeah, you, you have their life, you, you learn about 
their hardships, their opportunities, their family structures. You just kind of really, like an anthropologist, get to know them deeply and intimately. So if you think about the entire experience rather than just your product, you can do, instead of a minimum viable product, you can do a minimum viable experience. And that would include all the extra touches that you put into your offer to help people evaluate it and select it. Did that make sense? And should I go any deeper? Yeah, uh, I think I would like to, uh, for the sake of people who might uh, be listening to this, who are, are always wondering, like they've been following that story from all the questions you have asked me. And uh, to the end of it, I would like to ask, okay, can you give us a practical example of that minimum viable experience that you talk about? With this sure. Um, give, give me a business that you, uh, tell me about the business of one of your clients very briefly. Do they sell shoes or hot dogs or are they a dentist? Give me a okay. business. Uh, a, a client of mine uh, says uh, software uh, solutions for, uh, software enterprising solution for companies, like IT uh, solutions for companies. Okay. So they're doing support? And yes, helping the company. supports, okay. installation, maintenance, and a whole lot of other things that comes with it. Okay. So one way to sell the services of a company like that is to create a one-pager that says, we do security, privacy, servers, we'll replace PCs, we'll take care of maintenance, we'll make sure that all of your software licenses are up to date. We will do an inventory of all of your IT products that are on-premise and that are at your customers' and your employees' homes. And, and we'll do budgets for you. And you can just list all of those different things. A way to sell that as a minimum viable experience would say, well, you know, when you become our customer, we don't just start, you start. At our first kickoff meeting, we're going to bring a camera and a note taker, and we're going to go through and take pictures of all of your equipment, capture the serial numbers, and talk to your people about what their needs are and where they'd like things to be better. We'll come back to you with a picture of your current architecture. We'll give you some ideas for which direction your company might want to go with IT. And we'll prepare your internal communications so that all of your people will know where you're headed with technology. We're going to do all of that for you as a service. And yes, we're going to make sure that you spend the least and get the most. After three months, we're going to come back and we're going to do an opportunity inventory. All right, I could go on and on, but do you see the difference in feeling Yes, between just yeah. saying, here are my services, buy them like you would a sandwich, and walking people through first meeting, second meeting, what we're going to do, who we're going to bring, what's the value of that information. I'm putting myself in the client's shoes, and I'm thinking, what would they need to know? What would help them deliver more value? What would make them look good? What would make it easier for them? There are a lot of ways to create value besides charging people less. And that's what you put into your minimum viable experience. It's important because if people are just buying things by the pound, meaning a commodity of your service or your product, they really don't care. There's nothing keeping them with you other than the low price. But if you can create value in additional ways, like no other vendor can, especially those who don't know your customer intimately, you'll last for much longer and your service will be of much greater value. What wow. do you think? Yeah, that's that's cool. And uh, I I got that and it's very, very clear and it's very simple and plain. But my question now is this, that's a particular business or company that I talk about, 
they offer a physical service like where they have to be physically present at their client base. But for a coach or a consultant or a service provider that runs virtually, like how do they, how can they create that minimum viable experience where they cannot see or they can't have a physical contact with their clients? Okay. So there's a, there's a twist. There's a trick to doing it and it's not hard to learn. And here's the trick. Instead of thinking about what you're going to sell and what the client's going to do for you, think about what the client's going to buy and what you're going to do for them. So most clients go through several phases as they get ready to buy something. They start by becoming aware that they have a need. Then they compare different solutions. They buy one, they use it, and if they like it or they hate it, they'll share it. So think about those five stages, aware, compare, buy, use, and share. And make sure that you put something specific in each of those five phases. So let's talk about an online coach. In the aware phase, you've got to be able to say what it is that you do that's different and more valuable than other coaches. So I recently ran across a piece of software called Udly, Y-O-O-D-L-I dot A-I, and it's running on this call. And what it will give me about one minute after we're done is a synopsis of our call. It'll tell me what was said because it does a complete transcript. It counts all the filler words like, um, uh, it measures how much time my eyes are engaged on your side of the camera. And it tells me a whole bunch of other things about how I'm speaking. How fast am I speaking? How engaging am I? Things like that. So if I were a speaking coach, right out of the gate, I could say, you'll get coaching that goes deeper, further, faster than anything else, because it's a combination of human and AI every session. That's got my attention, right? Or your attention. When they go into the compare phase, think about what a client's looking for. They don't want to make a bad decision or waste money. So take those off the table. Give them a clear picture of what the experience of working with you, with you is going to be. So instead of saying, we offer this coaching and that coaching, and you can do this and you can achieve that, say, at your first meeting, we're going to do a simple test. I'm going to ask you to read blah, 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 and I'm going to show you how we can make you better in five minutes. Then we're going to talk about your goals, and you just paint the rest of the picture. You tell the story of the service in the compare phase. Because that answers the questions that the clients have. They don't need to know that you're available. They imagine that you are. They don't need to know that they can trust you. They believe that you are. So don't go over the basics. Tell them how the service is going to work to answer their curiosity. And then tell them how the service is going to work for them. That's why they want to buy. They want some kind of transformation. Anybody that buys coaching is looking to be different and better. So if you answer that question during the compare phase, when they buy, they're doing it for the right reasons, and there's a lot less chance of disappointment. In the buy phase, the job is to make things as simple and easy as you can and still keep the client in control. There are so many examples where I've gone to buy something, and I feel like I'm being forced, especially to sign a contract for something that's bigger than what I really want. So give your clients control during the buy phase, and the stress goes down. 
Is this making sense so far? Yeah, super, super amazing. And, uh, yeah. you and the, the same thing goes through the other two steps of using this uh, of the service. You have to have like a, a little agenda of what it's going to be like. And if we're going to meet once a week for a quarter, you know, what are those 12 sessions going to be like? You have to have the answers to that. When you share this information in advance, it makes customers calm down and it raises their confidence. Yeah, that's that's super awesome. You threw a lot of value bomb out there. And listeners out there, you need to listen to this episode or on repeat and just uh, take a lot of notes. I believe it's super useful. And uh, thanks so much to you, Mike. And uh, let's get back to you, Mike. And uh, I, there are some questions I want to run through you uh, to get some uh, personal opinion from you concerning your journey as an entrepreneur at what sure. point at what point that you know that you are on something uh with the story miner you know it was when we first started the company and we and tom and i did those six meetings and we made six sales but it happened again and again um the second time it happened was when i realized that stories don't have to be told in words and i've known that for a long time but we were able to create a um, a store of the future for an optical company, you know, the ones that, you know, they make glasses. Yeah. So we invented the experience for them. We created prototypes of different stations that people would go to, to try on their frames, to go see the doctor, to get fitted, to pay for everything. And in great detail, using architecture, retail design, software, user interfaces, we were able to give customers a 360 degree experience so they could feel what it was like to own these new, very powerful glasses, even before they bought them. And then um, just really a couple of years ago during the pandemic, I realized that um, one of the gaps that story miners can help fill is working with leaders who are trying to share their strategies. The world right now is characterized by so much change. Everything around us is changing. It doesn't matter what country you live in, what industry you work in, what family situation you're in, everything around you is changing. And it's forcing all of us to change how we think about things, how we consume information. You talked before about how hard it was to find strangers who become clients. Uh, And it's very difficult to understand where to be so that people can buy what you have. So um, what I've learned is that leaders are trying to share more pictures of the future. They're trying to calm their employees down. They're trying to create opportunities for their firms and for themselves and for their employees and partners. And they need help because they're not used to so much change. Most people that are in management, a big generalization, um, are used to running things the same old way. And in a period of extreme aggressive change, that is a recipe for going out of business. You can't stand still while everything around you is changing because it will redefine you. And if you don't respond, you'll just go out of business. It's happening so many times. There are so many department stores and transportation companies and you know even political factions that are just falling by the wayside because they can't keep up. So I found that these leaders are very um, nervous about the future, but they don't want to project nervousness. They also aren't very sure sometimes of what they want to see happen in the future. It's so hard to stay on top of everything. So what I'll do is work as a sounding board for them and help them to feel a little bit more comfortable. But by using these active listening techniques that I've demonstrated, 
I'll listen for what the strategy and the ideas and the plans are. And I'll say it back to the leader. And they'll go, that's not what I said. I say, that's exactly what you said. This is how I interpret it. No, no, no. Here's what I mean. And they'll repeat that a little bit more. So eventually we end up with some language that reflects the feelings and the attitudes and the direction of the owner or the leadership team and that can be understood by the people on the ground. Okay. When I figured that out, it it just it just gave me the opportunity to pivot in a new direction. So now I'm not competing with all the other firms that I used to. I'm working in a very niche market where I'm seen as a really good and, and well-respected resource for people. And I love the work. So I'm I'm blessed and very happy to have um had the world change around me. So it forced me to pivot. So I guess the lesson from all of that, Mayo is never, ever, ever stop listening. There is no there. You know, like when I get there, things will be better. It's all one continuous process and one continuous journey. And never let yourself get full of yourself, an expression that means don't let your ego take over. Always keep your customers and your clients' needs in mind and always keep your ears open because the next unmet need is probably right in front of you. All right. Uh, that's awesome. I, I can feed that from you. And uh, I love talking to people who are so happy with what they do and they are very, very good at what they do. So uh, what is the structure of your company and revenue-wise, what is your figure for 2022? You know, I don't know if revenue is even projectable right now. I have, I have no way to tell you. We'll probably be south of a million uh, US dollars for the year. Um, but I don't know. I don't have a huge pipeline right now. We're building a new website. We're starting some new services, but it's just not predictable the way it was before. The thing that I don't have right now is a machine for turning strangers into clients. I'm finding that challenging. So if, if you know some folks that you can send my way, I would appreciate it. Yeah, we, we, um, can, we can have a conversation about that anyway, uh, maybe later at a later point, maybe after this interview, because uh, I think I love to give something back to you as well. And you have been a blessing uh, with this interview Thank you. Thank for you my so own much. business. So, uh, <laughs> all right. So that, I talk about the structure of your company. Like, how did you structure your company that, uh, yeah. for it to okay. be so successful? the way it is today? Well, you know, success is in the measure is, is in the eye of the beholder. Some people would say that my company is too small. Others would say that we offer too many services. Some would say we don't offer enough. Others would say, Mike, you need to be doing the same thing over and over and over again and be more efficient. So, you know, success at the end of the day depends on who's doing the measuring, if you know what I mean. Yeah. So the structure of my firm ever since I started Story Miners has been adaptive. I learned uh, some tremendous lessons from a mentor of mine, Steve Heckel, and another David Ng at IBM when I worked there as their e-visionary uh, in 1999 to 2001. Steve and David taught me how to run a business as a set of capabilities rather than as a pyramid structure where you know some people are on top of, of others. That kind of command and control structure where instructions come from the top and filter down to the bottom, it works great in a world where things don't change. It's great for laying railroad tracks. It's great for running an army. It's great for making pizzas, but it's not so good in professional services, which is where I've spent most of my, my own life. 
So what we've done uh, in the last few years is probably invest at a rate of about, I'd say, 10 to 15 percent on processes and technologies that make it easier and easier for us to do things. So when it's time to put up a new blog, we have a template in Asana and I I put in an idea, I add some copy and I don't have to think about it until it's posted. Little things like that um, make me a lot more productive. Right now, I'm really leaning into technologies that um, like this Udily product, which is great for speaking coaches. There are others that are good for people who need like an electronic virtual assistant to kind of automate a lot of the actions and decisions that are made in a meeting so that when the meeting is over, the work is already done. That for me is a, is a kind of nirvana. So it means I don't have to spend an hour working about my work every hour I work. I hope that makes sense. All right. So uh, I wish we had a lot of time left on this interview because it's a very amazing one for me. But uh, I'm a book coach. I'm a book junkie. I love book a lot. And books has helped me a lot uh, to grow as, a, as an entrepreneur. So uh, before we round up, just give us one book that you have read that inspired you and uh, made a lot of difference in your business life. Wow. You know, I'd say there are three books that made a big difference for me. The first one was Anything by Ayn Rand, you know, which is a philosopher from, you know, from the last century. I remember The Fountainhead. It filled me with a sense of of purpose um, and understanding of how structure could make a difference of working by your principles. Um, Maybe it influenced me too much, too. Um, A book by Steve Heckel, called Adaptive Enterprise taught me a lot about how systems thinking can be applied to the design of a business. And one of my favorite books on customer experience is called Clued In by Lou Carbone. And he revealed to me a lot of the techniques behind designing experiences and how to understand ways to work for people instead of doing things to them by giving them great experiences. So his book just lays just about everything out that you need. All right. So um, where can listeners out there connect with you and get in touch with you if they are interested in having a conversation with you? Sure. Well, the easy thing is to look me up on Google. The hard thing is to know how to spell my last name. So here goes. My first name is Mike, M-I-K-E. My last name is Wittenstein, W-I-T-T-E-N-S-T-E-I-N. My company's name is also very findable on Google. It's Story Miners. It's one word. S-T-O-R-Y-M-I-N-E-R-S.com. And if you spell either of those incorrectly, I own a lot of other domains and it'll point you right there. So it's easy to find me. And I welcome uh, connections from folks. So thank you so much for having me, Mayo. I learned a lot and I appreciate your playing the games too. It's my pleasure having you on this episode. You have been a very great value for us on this show. And I celebrate you. I salute you for all the things you have been doing and all the values you you have been getting out into the world. So listeners out there, this is where we draw a curtain on this episode of the Six Figure Entrepreneur Podcast. The conversation still continues at uh, the sixfigureentrepreneur.com for slash podcast. Just search for Mike uh, in that uh, page and the show note for this episode will pop right up. So until I come out your way next uh, time with another awesome guest like Mike, my name is Mayowa and uh, keep it real and keep going. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Six Figure Entrepreneur Podcast. For more episodes and the show notes for this episode, visit www.thesixfigureentrepreneur.com. And I would love for you to leave a review on iTunes if this episode has been of value to you. See you next time on another episode of the Six Figure Entrepreneur Podcast. And until then, keep building and keep the entrepreneurial fire burning.